Well, hello, everybody. It's so good to see all of you. My name is Chris Ward. I am one of the pastors on staff here, and I would ask you right now, would you grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3? 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we are today. This week, we are nearing the end of this Life in Rhythm series that we have been in for a while now. And uh, as we kind of round the corner and almost finish this series today, we're going to talk about the very important rhythm of sharing our stories, of, of sharing with others about our faith in Jesus. And as I was working on this message this past weekend, a week, I couldn't help but think of uh, the old story, and I, I'm sure I've actually shared it with you before. Uh, but the old story came to my mind of kind of the, the fanciful, imaginative story of what happened when Jesus ascended into heaven after his death and his resurrection. And the story goes something like this. As Jesus, you know, ascended into heaven after his work here on this earth was done, uh, he went to sit at his throne at the right hand of his father. And as he sat there, the angels of heaven, they, they began to come to him and they began to, to worship him. And in the middle of worshiping him, one of the angels uh, asked Jesus something like this. He said, Jesus, you know, it's really clear that you really love the people of that earth. I mean, you, you, you gave your life for their, their sake. It's, it's amazing how much you care for them. And so Jesus, the angel, said, the, the question I have is how, how are you going to get the good news of what you have done out to the people of earth? What's your plan to, to share with the world all that you've done and, and how much you love them? And in response to that question, Jesus said something like this. He said, well, when, when I was on this earth, uh, I left uh, 12 disciples there. I had 12 followers of me on this earth. And I, and I left them there on that earth after I ascended into heaven. And he said, I, I gave those 12 apostles, I gave those 12 disciples the instructions to tell people around them about me. And when, when they tell people around them about me and those people put their, their faith in me, then I've told my disciples to tell them to begin to tell the people around them about me and how much I love them and so on. And, and through their sharing, eventually the entire world is going to know about what I've done. Well, at this, the, the angel was a little bit skeptical. And he said, but, but Lord Jesus, if, if, if you would, wouldn't mind, I, I just have a question. What, what if they don't do that? What if they fail to do that? What if they don't tell the people around them about what you've done for them? What's your plan then? What's your backup plan for getting the, the good news of salvation out to the people of earth? And at that question, Jesus looked at this angel straight in the eye and he said, there is no backup plan. There is no backup plan. And I've always loved that story because it illustrates just how much trust God has placed in you and me to get the good news of what Jesus has done for us into this world. I mean, God trusts us so much, right, that in a sense, he has sort of left kind of the salvation of the world, the eternal destiny of people up to you and me to fulfill the calling that he has given to us. I mean, it's, it's a crazy thought when you think about it, right? And yet, here we are 2,000 years later. Which means what? It means that God's plan has worked. Because it means for 2,000 years, God's people have taken seriously this call to, to share Jesus with other people, a call that, that we carry on here today. 
And that's exactly what we're talking about here today. And that's what leads us to this passage in 1 Peter. We're, we're going to look at a couple of verses here in 1 Peter chapter 3. But before we do that, let me just give you a little bit of background on what we're going to look at today, okay? Some of you may remember a few, several weeks ago now, I actually took you to the book of 1 Peter. We looked at a couple of verses in 1 Peter chapter 1. And in that particular message, I explained that the book of 1 Peter was originally written by one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, the Apostle Peter, and he's writing to a group of former pagans who had decided to put their faith in Jesus. Somehow they had heard about Jesus and they decided to believe in him. And Peter writes this letter to them in order to instruct them how they're supposed to live as Christians. Because one of the things I shared a couple of weeks ago, when we went to this, or several weeks ago, when we went to this passage, is that when these people put their faith in Jesus, their entire lives changed overnight. Now, there were a lot of good things that happened. They got eternal salvation, they got the Holy Spirit, they got a new relationship with God. But there were some bad things, there were some difficult things that also happened as a result of their faith in Jesus. And one of the biggest ones is for the first time in their life, many of these, these former pagans, they began to experience persecution. They began to experience affliction, and they began to experience hostility, all because of their faith in Jesus. In fact, some, some of you may remember I talked about how within a few years after Peter wrote this letter, some of the Christians to whom Peter is writing, they would end up losing their lives because of their belief. And it's obvious as you go through the book of 1 Peter that Peter knows that that sort of persecution is coming their way. In light of that, it's a little bit interesting to read the advice and the instruction that Peter gives his audience. Let's pick it up here in verse 14 of 1 Peter 3. Our main verse is actually going to be verse 15, but I want to start just a verse earlier. Verse 14, Peter says this, he says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, he says. Do not be frightened. Let me read that again. He says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, he says. Do not be frightened. And what is it that Peter is doing here in verse 14? Well, what Peter is doing is he is being honest with his audience, okay? Peter knows that persecution is coming. And he's not trying to hide that from these Christians. He's saying, listen, some of you will suffer for doing what is right. Some of you will suffer for following after Jesus. And Peter is making that very clear to these believers. But what I find most interesting about what Peter says in verse 14 is what he says about this suffering, how he frames it, how he tells these Christians that they're supposed to think about it. And it's all wrapped up in this word that you see right in the middle of verse 14, and that is the word blessed. You see that there? Peter says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And what Peter is saying there is he is saying that suffering and persecution in the Christian life, it should be thought of as a blessing. Now that's pretty counterintuitive, isn't it? That's not how many of us think of blessing today, as we touched upon briefly last week. That's not how many people use the word blessed today on Instagram and Facebook and those social media platforms, right? But that's exactly what Peter is saying here. And so that raises a question, and the question it raises is, how can suffering, how can persecution be thought of as a blessing? Well, actually, there are a number of answers that the New Testament gives to that, but I believe one of them is given in the very next verse. Look with me at verse 15. 
Peter says this, he says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I want you to stop right there because that is the key. How can suffering be thought of as a blessing? Peter tells us here, it's because of the opportunity it gives us to share Jesus with other people. That's what he says here. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And in my opinion, the key word here in verse 15 is the word answer. And the Greek word that is translated answer there, that's the Greek word apologia. We get our word apology or apologetics from that word. And what's interesting about that word apologia is that was originally borrowed from the legal realm. That was borrowed from the courtroom. And in the first century, when someone would be accused of a crime, just like they are today, they would be dragged into court, and they would have to stand in court in front of everybody, and they would have to give what was called their apologia. They would have to give their witness, their defense, their testimony. And by using that word here, what Peter is implying is what many of us already know. And that is that as Christians, we are sort of always living our life on trial, right? As Christians, there are always going to be people who watch us and scrutinize us. And there are always going to be people who don't like the things that we say and don't like the things that we do and, and don't like the things that we believe. And we may even face attack because of that. But what Peter says here in this verse is that as we face that attack, actually what that does is it gives us an opportunity. It gives us an opportunity to share about Jesus. It gives us an opportunity to share about our hope that we have. And, and indeed, what Peter seems to be saying here is the more that we are under attack, the more opportunities that we have to share about Jesus. And that's why persecution and suffering can be thought of as a blessing. And I think that there is a little bit of, of a lesson in that for us today. You know, one of the things that I am observing, and I'm sure many of you are observing it as well, is sort of this, uh, what seems to be this mass exodus right now of Christians from the state of California. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's incredible the number of people I talk to who have already moved or who are thinking about moving out of the state to another place. And listen, I, I get it in some sense, okay? Even my wife is a part of a Facebook group that's all about people from Orange County thinking of moving to Nashville, and it's 10,000 people strong, okay? It's just crazy. And I get it. The reason why is because, among other reasons, because as our, our world changes, as the state of California changes, and people are afraid that it's becoming increasingly hostile to what we believe and that sort of thing, there's this desire that people have to, to seek out friendlier skies. There's this desire that Christians have to be surrounded by people who think and believe exactly the way that we think and believe. And listen, if you are called to another state by God, you absolutely need to go to wherever you're called. But what I find interesting here in 1 Peter is that as Peter is addressing a group of Christians who quite honestly will be experiencing far worse than probably any of us will experience here on this earth, Peter's advice to them is not to retreat or get out. Peter's advice to them is not to travel to the first century equivalent of Iowa or Idaho or Texas or Nashville or whatever it may be. No, Peter's advice is exactly the opposite. He says, I want you to engage. Because actually, the more hostility that you face, the more opportunities you are going to have to share Jesus with those who desperately need to know about him. And that goes for us too. Remember, there is no backup plan. We're it. 
You know what that means? That means that California needs us, brothers and sisters. Orange County needs us. Your neighborhood needs us. They need us to share about Jesus with others. I've always loved this little couplet, this little poem that C.T. Studd wrote. He said this, he said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Isn't that a great verse? Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. We are the hope of the world. Now listen, I know that many of you know this, right? We know the importance of sharing Jesus with other people. We know the importance of of getting the message of Jesus out there. And deep down, I know that many of us, we do want to do it. But I know where many of us get stuck is we get stuck in the execution of it. We feel ill-equipped to do it. We feel inept to do it. Even I struggle with this. I think I've shared this with you before. It is easier for me to stand up here and to talk about Jesus in front of hundreds of you than it is for me to talk to my neighbor one-on-one about Jesus. And if you've been here for a while, you know how difficult it is sometimes for me to stand up here and talk about Jesus in front of hundreds of you, okay? So you can imagine how difficult it is for me to talk with my neighbor one-on-one. And that's why, as I was thinking about this this past week, and and thinking about this message, I was thinking how fortunate we are here at Friends Church. And the reason why is because we have, quite honestly, one of the best individuals I have ever met at actually practicing this and carrying this out in my life. And that is the uh, Aaron Opog, the, the future, or the lead pastor of our future Eastvale campus. And on Monday, as I was thinking about this message, I said to my wife, I said, gosh, I just don't feel as, as good at, at teaching this as, as I'd like to. I wish I could ask Aaron if he would want to share the message with me and teach a little bit here this weekend. And my wife said, well, you should just ask him. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not the boss here. Do I have the authority to do that? And then I realized my boss is out of town this weekend. I can do whatever I want. And so I texted Aaron Opak. And I said, Aaron, would you mind uh, coming up here this weekend and sharing a little bit of your wisdom and your knowledge on this? And fortunately, he agreed. And so we're going to do something a little bit different here today, okay? I'm going to invite Aaron up in just a second, and he is going to give us kind of an evangelism training here this evening. And he's going to share his insight and his wisdom on it. And let me tell you something. I'm going to be in that front row over there taking notes because I need to hear this myself, okay? So would you do me a favor? Would you welcome Aaron Opog to the stage as he comes and shares with us? to hit kind of the way that God wants us to live. And no matter how many tr- times we attempt, no matter how many times we try to be better and good, we always miss the bullseye. We always miss the mark. That's what sin is in the Bible. It's a picture of a bullseye. And the bullseye is the holiness of God. And we can never quite get there. And all of us have sinned. And because of sin, uh, there is now a rupture between us and God. There's a rupture between us and God and our relationship with him. And so God loves us, like I mentioned, and that's when we get to redemption. God didn't want us to have a rupture, us to be off with him. And so he sent us Jesus. Jesus lived a perfectly obedient life. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And this was historically validated. This is not uh, superstition. This is eyewitness accounts, which is what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are biographies of Jesus' life and eyewitness accounts of him. And uh, his death and his resurrection re- uh, uh, took away the effects and the power of sin because he took it upon himself. 
And when anyone wants to believe in Jesus, the power and effects of sin are wiped away and we're forgiven and we're now given a right relationship with God. We're now brought back into relationship with God. Now, uh, then there's the response part. You see, Chris mentioned last week in a really good sermon that, you know, you can know all that and still not be saved. That even the demons know that stuff and they're not saved, right? Obviously. So there has to be a response. Every person has to respond to Jesus, a yes or a no. Every person has to make a decision about what they think, and I'll make it personal, what you think and what I think about Christ. And, uh, and if we b- want to believe in Jesus, we have to do two things. We have to repent of our sin, turn from our sin. Chris did a great job speaking about repentance last week in a sermon. Go back and, and hear that for more. And then we have to believe, we have to commit, we have to trust. As I'm committing in this stage, as we're committing and trusting that those speakers that are going to hang securely up there, right? Like we're, we're trusting in Jesus to save us. And it's not Jesus plus, you know, uh, something I do. It's not Jesus plus my grandmother's faith. God bless her. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves us. That's how it works. That's the gospel. Now, on the screen is going to become an illustration that you've seen before. This comes out of Alpha, and I use it often, and it really helps me communicate the gospel in a simple way. So um, on the screen is a picture of a mouse, really simple, and everything is perfectly drawn in. And this is how I saw God for most of my life. I believed that if I lived a perfectly obedient life, that God would love me, and that it would happen. And I, but you know what? I, I fell short, and, uh, and that's because of the next slide over here. Oh, that's, yeah, I, if I'm good, I'm loved by God. Next slide. That, this is my life, okay? <laughs> on a good day. You should see me when I'm going to Eastvale at 4 p.m. on the 91 freeway, okay? I mean, the, all of us, this is all of us, right? It's not just about behavior, it's our heart. It leaks, we think things, we desire things, we, we have thoughts, greed, lust, all kinds of things, And when our hearts are on display and we're really honest with ourselves, we're just a mess. We're a hot mess. But the message of Jesus, and and hear me out, not the message of the church. The message of Jesus is this. God loves us in our mess. Now, lest we think it's just this kind of secular love, like God's just love, the reason why God loves us is the next slide. It's because of the cross. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. And because of that, the Bible says God's love can be poured out into our hearts. So men and women, you see me do this illustration as well. I'm using a bunch of things tonight just to kind of rekindle what we've learned over the years. Imagine that this is my life right here. And it represents my past, present, and the future things that I will one day regret. The things I'll say to my, 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 my family and friends that I will regret and do. When I put my faith in Jesus... The Bible says, imagine this Bible represents Christ. When I put my faith in Jesus and God sees me, he no longer sees the things that I have done when I was 16 and 17. They are not held against me, but he won't see the things that I do when I'm 60 and 65 and 70. What he sees now is everything Christ has done. What he sees when he sees you is the perfect, obedient life of Jesus, and he accepts us on the basis of Christ. When we, are, when we have sin in our life, we hold the penalty of sin. But the Bible says when Jesus went to the cross, he took the penalty of sin, and now what do I have in my hand? Nothing. I'm free. I don't have to bear under the burden of sin. Christ took it upon 
himself. This is the compelling message of the gospel, that we are to share and communicate in a variety of ways, but this is the most basic version of it. And then in verse 15, Paul then really gets to the heart of this passage. He says, how can anyone preach unless they're sent? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? This verse in verse 14 emphasizes who we're sent to to actually communicate the good news of Jesus. Um, the second C is the community that you are sent to. First C is the compelling message of the gospel. Second C is to be prepared with the community that you're sent to. Now, I have found that unless I place a face and a name to the people that I'm sent to, my prayers lack passion. My schedule doesn't change if I don't put a face and a name to the people I'm sent to. Uh, I lack, uh, you know, excitement to see people come to Jesus if I don't put a face and a name. And so I'm sent to Eastvale. Our team is sent to Eastvale, but specifically I'm, I'm called to Ellie and Jason and Shane. I'm called uh, uh, to Dante. These are four guys I'm praying for right now. I don't know the Lord. So who are you sent to? Who are the people that God wants you to share your story and the good news with? Organically, naturally? Take a moment right now. I don't know if you have a piece of paper or a pen or even just, just to write out a name. This is really important when it comes to training. Write out a name. Put a face. Put a name to someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus. It's a neighbor. Do that right now. And maybe it's nobody, and we're going to get to that in a moment. Who in your life doesn't know the Lord? Put a face, put a name, so you can be praying for them. Um, also, more about community. One of the main ways to reach more people um, oh, yeah, by the way, if you need a piece of paper, thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. Yeah. Um, you can just raise your hand, and, and, and we're going to take some notes. So uh, do, do grab one if you need one. Um, one of the main ways to increase the number of people who don't know Jesus is to uh, find a place where you can build relationships. Now, it's not always about how many people you currently have who don't know Jesus, but it's about increasing people you haven't met yet. Where can you go to build organic, relational, authentic sincere friendships over the long haul, people who don't know the Lord. We call this the third place. I call it the third place. It's a place I go to intentionally to build and connect with people in my community who do not know Jesus yet. And I just do it over the long haul. So for me, this is the basketball gym. And on Monday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., uh, not 10 p.m., can you imagine? All day. I'm committed. 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., I go to the gym and Eastfield Community Center and I play ball. And I talk a little Christian trash with the guys I play with. You know, it's all fun and games. It's awesome. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've met five new people who I've added to my prayer list, who, I've, who I'm praying for, and I'm beginning to, to get to know and engage. So take a moment right now. Where can you go to have and increase more people who don't know Jesus? Write down a place, a third place. And I'll just throw out a couple ideas. Who in here can join a gardening uh, club in your city, whatever city you live in? Gardening clubs are awesome for meeting people. Uh, who can uh, go and get involved in like a ci civic kind of club? Uh, how about coaching? Football, basketball, baseball, your kid's team, you know, uh, be an assistant to the coach. Get to know the families, invite them to the next Christmas or whatever it is. Where can you go to increase the number of people who do not yet know Jesus? And go there regularly, 
and put a face to the name. And then finally, uh, sharing your story is less effective alone. This is, this is just realistic, okay? Your story isn't always going to connect with everybody that you meet. It just doesn't. And so who can you bring who's already a Christian in your life group, in your community, with you to, that, to your third place? Or maybe you go to their third place as you tell them this principle. So basketball, again, 8 a.m., 10, 10 a.m., I bring uh, Chris Miano and, and, and Aaron from our launch team at Eastvale, and the three of us go play ball, and between the three of us, the chances of us getting into a more serious spiritual conversation are way better than just me showing up, okay? They are. The, and so the more people you can go with to your third place, it's awesome. So the Trunk or Treat event I told you about earlier, that was amazing because we had 20 people, 20 families talking it up, and, uh, and it was great. So who can you go with? Where can you go? And uh, who can you bring with you? Let's jot that down. Finally, uh, or thirdly, in verse 15, Paul continues, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In verse 15, Paul clearly says that when we go and we bring the gospel to people, there is an inherent goodness and beauty to tell people and share with them that God loves them. It's beautiful. Um, this is the third C. We must have the conviction to go, and when we go, to know that it is good, and it's important, and it's valuable to people and to the culture around us. This also brings up a really important ethical question. Is it morally wrong for you to share your faith in Jesus with people who don't know him? Is it morally wrong for you to go and intentionally share with somebody at your work or your neighborhood about what God has done in your life? Is it morally wrong? This is a critical, one of the most important spiritual questions of our church age right now, men and women. 2019, George Barna, a very big research organization, did a study on this very question, is it wrong to share your faith? And 47% of people 35 and under said it was. 25% of all other generations agreed with them. And so maybe even here today, you're like, man, I don't think it's right for me to share my faith. I think it's a very private thing. And again, this is an opportunity to see behind why we do what we do, because Jesus is so good. Because when you have light, you want to share it with people in darkness. Because when you have spiritual food, you want to give to those who are hungry. And it's just an opportunity to share with people the love of God. And so some might scoff at that idea, but it is real. It is a very real thing that we live in, that it's a social idea to not bring uh, faith into the public sector, but that does not mean it's not immoral to do it. It just means you're going to have a little bit of difficulty sometimes. And so this, this evening, I want to share a couple of things just from my heart. Number one is this, that um, I want to be clear with y'all that if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, it is an essential part of being his follower to be a witness to him. It's an essential part. It's not for professionals. It's not for um, guys on stage. It's for all of us. It's for me and for you. If we think that sharing our faith in the public is wrong, we are being deceived. It's a lie. Jesus is inviting us as his followers to proclaim and share that he is Lord and he's risen and he's done something for us in our life. Now hear me clear, sometimes we have to have better strategies of doing that to build relationships, real ones, with your business partners and people in your life, but changing your strategy doesn't mean it is morally wrong to do so. Finally, uh, the fourth C. Our fourth C is this, the courage to keep trying 
And let me just say to try and try and try and try again. And I know I'm speaking to people who have kids and, and spouses who don't believe in Jesus and you have tried, but we have to have the courage to keep trying. That's what Paul says uh, in verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? People did not believe in, in Jesus to, from, from Paul. Paul oftentimes faced rejection as, as Paul, uh, Chris alluded to about Peter as well. Uh, we are gonna face rejection. It's part of the territory. I have been scoffed. I have been ignored. I've had doors slammed on me. I have phone people hung up on the phone. Uh, I have people walk by me you know, on college campuses back in the day who didn't want to say anything. I have lost friends over Jesus. And let me just say, the sting of that rejection does not compare to the joy of actually leading someone to Christ. It all makes sense when that happens. So last month, my dad called me up. He said, Aaron, our family friend, Walt, 82 years old, has uh, cancer in his spine. He doesn't have much time to live. He's not a Christian. He needs to talk to a pastor. Can you call him? Walt, uh, I haven't seen him since I was seven years old. He was a trucker, tough guy, didn't believe in God, lives in South Carolina. I called him on the phone uh, the next day, and I said, Walt, how you doing, man? And he seemed perfectly fine. I, I was totally confused. I'm like, okay, how's your, how's your back? How's your cancer? Seemed totally fine. I asked him about his relationship with God, didn't seem very interested in God at all. So I just said, can I read you a few Bible verses and then pray for healing? He said, sure, absolutely. So I did, hung up the phone, and I thought to myself, man, I don't know if, if Walt really cares about God, and I'm saddened by that because I think this man doesn't have much longer to live. Two weeks go by, my dad calls me back. He says, Aaron, you got to call Walt again. He's doing worse. He may not have much time. you got to talk to him. I said, Dad, you know what? Uh, he didn't seem that bad, honestly, and, uh, and he was uninterested in Jesus. And so I got busy doing church planning work. Got busy driving around town doing things we do. And Thursday comes, four days later, and the Holy Spirit, while I'm getting into my car to work, just absolutely convicts my heart, call Walt now. So I call Walt right then and there in the car on my little headset, and the man who picked up the phone was not the man I talked to two weeks earlier. He was on hospice. He was dying. The cancer had, had done something you know, interesting, and I found out he was actually living in denial about it, which is why he wasn't very honest with me on the phone the first time. I said, Walt, I, I rarely say this with the urgency that I'm about to tell you right now, but the Bible says that it's appointed one person to die, and then they will face God for judgment. Are you prepared to see God face to face if you die today? And he said, I'm not. I said, Walt, can I share with you who Christ is? He said, absolutely, I want to know who Jesus is. I shared with him the, the gospel. And I said, Walt, are you prepared to say yes to Christ right now? He said, I am. And so right then on the, on the phone, I led him through kind of a prayer to just welcome Christ and believe in him. And I wish I could have recorded the, 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 the moment because his prayer was so honest. We're talking about a guy who's a trucker, just a tough guy. At the end of that, that, that moment, I told him some promises from Scripture. You're a child of God. There's no condemnation. If you die today, Jesus is going to welcome you into heaven. And there's no more pain. So the cancer you have is going to be gone. It's going to be awesome. I said, I'll call you back in two days and tell you some more verses. I called him back two days later. He didn't pick up. Found out two days after that, that Walha died. Friends, we have to have the conviction and it's important. And the courage to keep trying and try and try and try again. 
And let me just say that there's an urgency to all of this. I felt so much joy that Walt had received Jesus. But honestly, I also felt a lot of joy that I had missed the moment. I was that close from missing it. I just want to say as a pastor from the heart, don't miss it with people in your life. Don't put it off. It has an urgency to it. I want to invite Chris back up for us to close our message together. Chris, come on back up, man. Thank you, Aaron, for sharing. And you can, you can hear his heart, can't you? And I was thinking as he was talking, true story, if you were here last weekend, you may remember that I talked about uh, an evangelism class I had to take in seminary. And uh, that was about probably 13 years ago. I first met Aaron in that evangelism class. And in that evangelism class, listen, Aaron was sitting there taking notes diligently, listening to everything the professor said. I was in the back row playing solitaire on my computer the entire time. And you can see the fruit of that here this weekend. And and the professor asked Chris to be the TA after we were done. I mean, whatever. You didn't see me playing solitaire. Yeah, yeah. Um, But uh, I've asked Aaron to stay up here because he's going to do something for us in just a second. But before he does that, I I just want to share in light of the story he, he told about Walt. Uh, I want to share something very unique that's happening to me right now, Um, and that is that in the past three or four months here, uh, I have done four funerals here at Friends Church, and you have to understand, that's actually really rare for me. I I usually do about one or two funerals a year, maybe, and I've done four in the span of about three months, and uh, what is even more interesting is every single funeral that I've done, it's been for uh, something, someone that was unexpected. Uh, they, they didn't expect that person to, to pass away. Two of, the, two of the people, in fact, they were in their 40s. And I say that here not to bum us out, but I say that to give us the, the urgency that Aaron was talking about. As I said earlier, God has no backup plan. We're it. And if we're afraid to share our faith because we're afraid that we might impose or we're afraid that we might do it wrong or we're afraid that people might reject us, then then literally hope dies with us. One of the most amazing things, one of the best things about the funerals that I've done is every single one of them, fortunately, has been for someone who put their faith in Jesus Christ in this life. And so I was able to stand in front of those people and I was able to say, hey, your loved one is with Jesus and he is more alive than he has ever been and she is more alive than any of us in this room. And you, you cannot imagine the amount of hope that that gives people. And we want everybody to have that hope. That's why I think it's so cool that uh, this rhythm this week, it it landed on this particular weekend because of what's happening tomorrow. And tomorrow we get a really unique opportunity because for only one of the, for about the only time in the year, right, we we literally have our our neighborhood come to us. We have our neighbors come to our house. And what an opportunity we have, therefore, to put into practice what Aaron is talking about. And so maybe tomorrow night, maybe you want to do something different. Rather than just stay in your house and wait for people to come to you, maybe you want to get some lawn chairs and you want to put it out on your driveway tomorrow night so that you can hand out candy there, so you can meet not just the kids in their costumes, but you can also meet their parents. And you can get to know them and start a relationship with them. And maybe on your your drive home tonight, maybe you want to stop at the market and you want to get the full-size candy bars. You know what I'm talking about, right? So that you can be known as that house and so that you make an impression on people. A little bribery never hurt anybody, especially when it comes to the gospel, okay? And who knows what God can do with that? We just have an incredible opportunity this weekend, and not just this weekend. We have an incredible opportunity every day 
to get the good news of Jesus out to a world that desperately needs it. And that's why I've, I've asked Aaron this weekend, actually it was Aaron's idea, but I'm going to take credit for it. I asked Aaron this weekend if he would, uh, he would close our message by commissioning us and commissioning us to be followers, disciples of Jesus, just like the New Testament asks us to be and to share about Jesus with those around us. So Aaron, would you do that right awesome. now? Thank you. Um, you know, when we stand up for a moment and we're going to sing a song in response in a second, but in commissioning, commissioning is a special thing in the Bible. We get kind of prayed over and sent out, and it's part of ministry. And so uh, if you would just put your hands out like this in a, in a, in a posture of receiving, there are four, four little commissions that we want, we want to commission you, and they go back to the four C's I gave you a moment ago. We want to commission you with the compelling message of the gospel. We want to commission you uh, with the community you're sent to, the people who like, may never go to church unless you talk to them, never know Jesus because you talk to them. We want to commission you uh, with the conviction of how important it is to go. And we want to commission you with the courage to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And I just want to say, as I've been standing up here, I've had just four things come up real quick. And that is this, maybe from the Lord, I don't know. But if you've never done this, we want to commission you. And we just want to ask Jesus to make it easy. I just feel like God's saying, Lord, make it easy. And if you did do this, if you have shared your, your story and you've given up, you haven't done it for a while, would you be encouraged by the Holy Spirit to keep doing it? And if you are doing it and you're sharing your story regularly, we want to just pray that God would give you more, more power, more fruit. And then lastly, if you've never come to Jesus tonight, I just want to invite you to come. Come to Christ. Don't wait. Make Jesus your Lord and your Savior tonight and know God. So Father God, we commission this church, my brothers and sisters, in these four ways, to be your hands and your feet, to tell the story of what you have done in and through them and for them with courage and boldness and love and gentleness and patience. And Jesus, would you continue to bear fruit at 109 years of new people coming to faith in Jesus. And if anyone here fits that, haven't said yes to Christ, make it your prayer this evening. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive me my sin. Simple as that. In Jesus' name, amen.